You're listening to Childcare Voices. Lack of affordable childcare and low pay for childcare workers is a major cause of poverty and inequality. We are Grow Your Own, an oral history project that is looking to the past for inspiration to tackle the problems we face today. We're on a mission to record the history of childcare organising and share lessons from the past. We've brought together a group of people who are all affected by childcare in some way to research the historical roots of the issues they face. As they look into the past, will they find a solution that helps them? Hi, my name is Raquel and I'm mum of two. I arrived in the UK as an au pair. The word au pair in French means on equal terms. This refers to English girls who travel to France and taught lessons in English in exchange for French classes. Au pairs exchanges in the UK started in the 1920s, first with Switzerland and Austria, and then became popular during the Second World War. In the 1890s, there was a comparable system of ayas and amas, terms coming from Indian dialects and Portuguese, applied to women who served the British in India and other colonies as children, nannies and ladies' maids. Sanayas work only for British families in Asia, while others were required to travel with families on their annual return to Britain. For this reason, they were sometimes also known as cellar nurses. Now we are going to be listening to Niti, who is the Hackney Museum Manager. Uh, my name is Niti Acharya. My job title is Museum Manager, but in a small museum like this, that involves a lot of everything. So I sort of manage the day to day operations of the museum, but I also work very closely with my colleagues on sort of our public program, engaging people with the different activities we've got going on, working with our collections, curating different exhibitions with different people who are interested in particular subjects, and basically working to tell as many underrepresented stories we can of Hackney people. So I have been coming over since the late 1600s. And the East India Company were sort of the ones responsible for bringing people back and forth. In the late in the 1820s, an isle was abandoned. The East India Company directors asked a man called William Cullum, who lived locally, and I think he worked for the East India Company, to find a home for her or to find a suitable lodging place for her. And apparently he took her into his home. And the story goes, she was treated so well that other eyes started turning up on his doorstep. So the first one was abandoned because you know, she wasn't taken back as she should have been. And then he would then give lodgings to Ayers. And then he moved a few roads up to a different place and was continued. He died and his wife, Elizabeth Rogers, sort of continued giving a place to live, lodging for Ayers, traveling back and forth. And then they moved again, another street down. And that's where what was established as sort of Roger's lodging house or boarding house came into being. And it wasn't just for Ayers, it was a general lodging house. So we're on house number three. And then 
the home, for various reasons, was taken over by a gentleman called Christian Hansen and his second wife, Amina Hansen, who was born here in Hackney in Shacklewell. And then they had support from a London Missionary Society and some other sort of church organisations. And they moved again to Hackney. So this is around sort of the late 1800s, 1890s. They moved to 26 King Edwards Roads. So of all of these properties, this one still exists. All the first ones have gone. And that's why this property has a blue plaque from English Heritage. What seems to have happened with Ayers is they only seem to be recorded in official places when there was a problem. So it's when their employer had been nasty and they'd been kicked out or when they were seeking refuge. And because that's what's recorded in official places, that then seems to be the narrative that's repeated, which were these really poorly treated women who were here and they didn't want to be. Whereas actually, if you look at it, much more broadly, you can see that that's not necessarily the case overall. There may have been instances of poor behaviour or, you know, treated badly, but they seem to be the exception, not the rule. So I think there is an interesting element there about whose stories are recorded, what's recorded, how it's recorded. Um, and that's why a lot of these women's stories aren't quite captured in the same way, which is why you sort of get this often said that they were abandoned. It wasn't quiet in that way. They were contracted employees. You know, there's actually examples of the sorts of contracts they had where they were given money to prepare for their voyage, to buy clothing. They were given money, you know, paid a you know, sum for the voyage, and then they knew it would come to an end at the other side because they were travelling ayers. Nowadays, au pairs come to the UK from all over the world. Normally, they are young girls who provide the whole family with childcare and like domestic help in exchange of accommodation, meals or weekly pocket money. The problem I found in the UK is that there are no laws regulating the position of an au pair. There is only a guidance relating to what to provide and the that is they can do, for example, an estimated 30 hours of work a week and around 70 to 85 pounds weekly pocket money. From my own experience as an au pair, I know that many enter into a new country with a different culture and language only to find a family that does not stick to the conditions agreed by both sides prior to the au pair's arrival. In my first experience as an au pair, I traveled to the Republic of Ireland. Almost everything was as expected. Although I did feel 10 hours a day taking care of a baby under 12 months old was too much. After a few months, I decided to move. Although I was having a good time, practically 70% of my circle in that city spoke Spanish, and I wasn't learning English, which was my goal. I traveled to England to a family I contacted via the website Opera World. The family was a couple with two boys, a three years old and a six years old. This time, the experience wasn't so good. I didn't feel part of the family. I wasn't provided with enough food and I wasn't allowed to cook. The kitchen was new and they were worried about it getting damaged. Usually, I was the only one at home in the mornings. One day, I was really cold, wearing many layers of clothes, so I decided to turn on the heating. I was told off for doing that and they suggested I should run around the house to warm up instead. My room was tiny. 
it was much smaller than the empty beautiful guest room they had. I also didn't have much privacy. Children kept entering my room even when I was taking a shower, and parents entered my room while I was away. The children were not very welcoming. I was told by a neighbor I was the fifth of pair in the past year. So I understood the children were not happy with having a new pair yet again. One morning, I found the kitchen counter full of post-its, marking scratches that presumably I was accused of doing it. The food in the fridge was full of post-its again, saying, this is not for you, this is not for you. The situation that finally proved me to get out of the house was when my husband asked me to take the children swimming. They had a small automatic car for me to use, only when collecting or dropping the children to school or stuff like that. That day, the car was badly scratched when we got back from the pool, but I was lucky someone saw the incident and left a note on the windscreen to contact them. When the insurance arranged the repair and the car was taken to the garage, the parents rented a car for me to use with the kids during the time. My house mom mentioned to me that I shouldn't drive carefully as they have not paid the most expensive insurance option and it wouldn't cover certain damages to the car and it would be me paying for those expenses, which could be up to £5,000. I got really scared and I kept telling her I wouldn't be able to pay that amount. She kept saying, then be careful driving. But I said to her, some incident could happen to me without being my fault, like last time in the swimming pool parking lot. I let them know I could leave if I had to drive that car under those conditions and they didn't respond. I ended up leaving. My third family was awesome. A friend of mine was leaving their host family in a month and they were happy to take me in once she had departed. They welcomed me in for a few days until I could fly to Spain for that month and then come back. It was a family of four, two girls, one of nine and another of 14 years old. This time I definitely felt I was part of the family. I used to cook dinner and have dinner with them, have nice conversations. The girls were well-educated and nice to me. I enjoyed doing my duties in the environment and I will always be grateful to them for that opportunity. I would have stayed there longer, but they live in a very small town far from London and there was not much to do on the weekends. I moved to London in October 2011, looking for a different type of job. That's the end of my opera story. It's been a few years since then, so I wonder if the situation of Opers has changed, particularly after Brexit. So I decided to speak to other girls who have been Opers more recently or are Opers right now to find out what their working conditions are like and how they could be improved. I met Aleja, a girl from Colombia with a career as an Oper. I think what I would like to change it like maybe these conditions will be more regulated like by the law since it, it's here it's very it's a very common to have an oper why they are not regulating if it's not common okay maybe it's not worth it to make a, a law or like some effort but the the child care here like or the opera culture it's huge mm -hmm. like almost every family has an opera so why is not the, like being regulated it's almost a, a a job here you know so i would say it 
it should be nice for the operas like uh, the government can like at least put like a a proper visa uh, to come here and work like as legal as a legal person you know that would be like easier for the families and for the for the operas plus i think uh, it would be nice to have like a kind of a, a agencies to support or organizations uh, to support more the like the opera they come here and they feel like kind of alone this time i'm meeting another two girls lily that is working as an au pair and emma that's right now she's an nanny and she used to be an au pair as well it, it would be great if they had like a law and something a rule that says like an pair, like what an pair entitles. Like in America, I know that what does well have the how much they should get paid. Because I've heard so many families that like in the first family I was with, I got paid like eighty pounds a week, eighty pounds being the whole day with the girl. It was like it, it wasn't enough. And then because like it, those eighty pounds that I was getting paid, it was I I used them all to go out. Because like even if I wanted like transport or, or going out with friends. Then that eighty pounds was like I will finish them on the weekend. It was like nothing. It was like I never got paid because it wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. But that's something they should make sure that the parents get enough money to be able to have a life. Because like yes, it's okay, you're paying for the house and they're living and everything. But if they need to pay for transport or like I understand going out and stuff is like it's their choice. But like at least the transport rate could be like subsidized. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, London, it's, people have to be aware of like where they're living. London, you, you go out, not even considering the transport, two drinks at a bar, if you get like a nice cocktail, it can be about 20 pounds and that's what, like almost half of your income. It's ridiculous. It's like a one fourth. You, you can't, you can't survive and, and live like a functional life on on that kind of paycheck yeah and another girl just last year that I'd met she was only getting paid 100 pounds a week and I was like for for where you're living you can't live a happy lifestyle on that kind of paycheck and especially when you really need that socialization time like you know back in the like the 60s there were these housewives who were like going absolutely like stir crazy having to like be on like a million different kinds of medication because they just couldn't socialize because they were living at home doing exactly the tasks that us au pairs are doing which is cleaning bringing the kids to school and then making dinner it, it's such an isolating lifestyle so you you do need that socialization time like it, i don't think it's not even just a I, I want to it's a need to to function properly or else you're going to get depressed or not functional as a person and so, yeah, you, I think having a standard of payment for all au pairs universally is, is an absolute must because if not, it's getting kind of like deplorable at that point for, for young women. After listening to their stories, I can tell that the situation for au pairs, their working conditions and the guidance and support provided around this work has barely changed at all. Probably it has got worse since Brexit. Now that I am a mom of two living in London, I must say how expensive childcare is. Au pairs are a good option for some families, but not all families can afford nannies or au pairs. That is definitely my case. I have been a housewife for too many years because we can afford childcare and we are not entitled to any free hours of childcare. I have no option but to be a stay-at-home mom until my young child turns four, when he will start going to school full-time. 
parents should be able to keep a career, study, or just have a chance to socialize and to have a moment for ourselves. I don't believe it's good for anyone's mental health to be quite so busy. I hope this podcast will help people to understand the challenges that oppers still face today. The situation needs to change, and urgently. We need more than guidance in place to support these vulnerable migrant workers. You've been listening to Child Care Voices. This episode was written and produced by Raquel Sánchez Camarasa. The series was made as part of a training course run by Hannah Kemp-Welch with support from Rosa Schling and Veronica Deutsch. Sound design by Hannah Kemp-Welch. Thank you to Nanny Solidarity Network for the crash. The Grow Your Own Oral History Project is run by On The Record and funded by Trust for London. Find out more at on-the-record.org.uk or follow us on Twitter at growyourown_ohp. underscore O-H-P.